Okay, before we read uh, the passage, let me catch us up to speed on what's going on because it, it got a little bit crazy last week. It gets crazy tonight, like really crazy tonight, okay? Uh, so let me set the stage so we can make sense of this. John, the Apostle John, is the writer of this book. It's actually a letter. The letter of Revelation was meant to be circulated amongst a bunch of churches, seven churches in um, Asia Minor, which is roughly modern-day Turkey. And uh, John was a friend of Jesus. And he is writing this letter from the island of Patmos. And Patmos was um, an island off the Medi- in the Mediterranean Sea, off the coast of Ephesus. And he is there because he is essentially in prison. It's a house arrest. He's out there just living on this rocky island. And in that island, while at that island, he gets a vision from God of, the, of what's going on. He gets a peek behind the curtain as, as what's happening in world history now and what's going to be true uh, one day. And last week, um, whether you're here or not, John introduced the idea that heaven, the idea of heaven isn't something that's coming one day, right? It's not like we have this time axis and then at some point normal life will end and then heaven will begin, John starts to introduce this idea that heaven is a present reality right now that has been tracking alongside what we think of as reality here on earth. Heaven is real. It is another dimension to our present world. And because of that, when John sees, gets this vision into heaven, what he sees matters right now. It's not applicable just for the future. It's actually actually applicable today. And last week what we saw in John's first kind of peek into heaven is he saw a throne. He saw a throne, and on that throne was sitting God. And then later we see the Lamb coming up to that throne. And God sitting on that throne means this, that, that He is right now ruling and reigning in the world, that God is in control of this world. Now, that's kind of a hard thought because we see very difficult things happening. We're going to talk about it again tonight. There's suffering in this world. There's uh, likely suffering in many of your lives. And John actually sees that in that throne room, that the sea, which in the, biblical, in, in the Bible is often used kind of metaphorically, symbolically for the chaos of the world, for the unknown, for the, for the suffering of this world. The sea is actually in heaven. It's right before the throne, but it's not choppy and chaotic. Its waters are still. And what we have to learn from that is this, that suffering and chaos is a part of this world, but God is ruling over it. He is ruling over suffering right now. Another thing we see is that um, when God is on that throne, He's holding a scroll, and that scroll represents all of world history. And no one is found who can open that scroll, who has the key to history, who can make sense of of the world until there is one who comes and he's a lion. John says he hears a lion. And then he turns around to see this great powerful lion who's going to come and rule over the world. When when he turns around, what he actually sees is is a lamb, a lamb that is slain. And that lamb is, is representing Jesus. And the picture we get is that Jesus stands as the climax of world history, and He then is able to open the seals. He can let us know what the world's about, where it's going, what's happening now. And tonight, 
what we see is what happens when those seals start to be open. Because Jesus is worthy to open them, and tonight we're going to look at that. What we're going to see is that there is a series of seven seals that Jesus opens. Now, seven in the Bible is um, numbers, sometimes just mean numbers, but a lot of times in the Bible, numbers are symbolic. And the seven is the number of completion. And so for this scroll to have seven seals on it means that it completely belongs to God. But also it means that Jesus is, un- he is able to unseal it completely. He can do it. Okay, and so before we read it, we need to consider this. What is it that is happening in heaven right now? And from that picture of what we see in heaven, what does that mean about what's happening on earth right now? Because remember, heaven is not something future. It is a present reality that is tracking alongside uh, our world right now. So most of us... um, most of us think, I would, I would venture to say, that, that heaven is kind of like, we think about heaven kind of like how we think about the Super Bowl. Hold with me. It's coming up, right? It's coming up. It's, it's one day. It's going to be here for us. It's going to be here in four days. It's, it's kind of entertaining at some level when we think about heaven. We think of um, like the thing that we love to do is just going to be that way forever. Heaven's going to be full of golf every day or skiing or sitting on the beach or racing cars or uh, looking on Facebook or whatever it is that you love to do, um, Snapchat. Like he- That's what heaven's going to be, and we kind of dream about it. It's like, oh, that's going to be so awesome. You know, Super Bowl is going to be awesome. It's kind of like heaven, right? Um, there's going to be good food. The Bible talks about heaven having a feast. There's usually good food. Come to my house on Sunday, and if you make good food, there will be good food there. Um, Lots of people will be there. There will be lots of people watching the Super Bowl at our house. There will be lots of people in heaven. But for the majority of us, we're not all that moved by by the Super Bowl because it's the Patriots and the Falcons. And, like, who who actually cares about that? (laughs) Except Harold, apparently. Um, You know... Uh, Like, Tom Brady's cute. I'll grant him that. He's actually beautiful. Um, The Patriots have a chance to make history. But in reality, it's just not mattering that much for our lives. So that's kind of how we think about heaven. One day it may matter, but it just doesn't really right now. And what I want to suggest is that heaven is less like the Super Bowl and more like campus Wi-Fi. It really matters. (laughs) It's there. It's here. It's unseen. But it's powerful. It changes the way you go about your day. Because let's be honest, when it's down, there ain't nothing working right. You gotta go to the library and actually use a computer and like but it's there. And it helps. And so when we read this, I want you to be thinking, this is something that's happening. Right now. So let's look at it. Revelation 6. We're going to read the whole chapter there and then part of chapter 8. Now I, this is John, now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. 
and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in its hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and wild beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the, in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, saying, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God and from the hand of the angel. Then the angel, uh, the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is the reading of God's Word. As I was getting ready for, uh, for today and studying this passage, there's a couple different tactics that, that you can kind of take, that pastors can take when they uh, get to some of these really dense sections of the book of Revelation. You can kind of speak very generally about some things and then go heavy application. So just me very briefly explain what's happening and then just kind of bring it all down and make it, make it meaningful to us. Or you can, on the front end, kind of go into a little bit more explanation, a little bit more teachy versus preachy, a little bit more teachy with some explanation, and then later on in the book, you kind of reverse it, and you go a little bit less on the teaching, a little more on the, on the, on the um, explanation, a little bit more on the application. So, I'm actually going to do the second tonight, and here's why. I, I'm convinced that if we understand 
what's going on in this passage with these seven seals being opened. That what comes later in the book of Revelation, what we're going to see in coming weeks, is basically this same idea, this same vision being repeated in different ways. Okay? So, put your thinking caps on. You guys are TU students. Um, We're going to go there for a little bit. Hopefully it will make sense. But not just make sense. Hopefully you'll realize this really matters. This really matters. So the first thing we're going to see, we're going to talk about the purpose of prayer. Um, Have you ever wondered what the purpose of prayer is? What is the purpose of prayer? Um, Some of you have a, a very... Um, developed theology of God, of what you know about God or what you think to be true about God. And and maybe you even really believe that God is sovereign and in control. And maybe because you believe that, you've wondered, well, if God is in control and He's going to do what He wants to do, why pray? What does my prayer matter? Or maybe um, maybe you're not a Christian and you know that Christians pray or you heard me pray earlier or or whatever it may be. And and you've always kind of wondered, what's to that? Are they just like, they're, they're closing their eyes and they're talking to the roof? That seems weird. Like, what is it? What is prayer? What's happening with that? And no doubt if you've ever prayed, um, you've had the experience where that prayer doesn't likely get answered. Or at least not answered uh, on your timetable or in the way that, that you wish it would have been answered. And so we're all left kind of wondering, well, man, what is prayer then? Does it matter? Is, it, is, it, is God hearing it? Does He care? Does, does He use it? What's up with prayer? What's the purpose of it? Um, in this passage, one of the controlling motifs, one of the controlling things that we're going to see in these seven seals is prayer. And what's interesting about that is, uh, as I just read this, you may not even, even have noticed that there's prayer happening. It's kind of discreet, but it's in there. And there's a few different ways we're going to look at. We're going to look at the first four seals in the prayer that's happening there. Then we're going to look at the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh. Okay? The first four are alike, though, so let's look at those first. Right out of the bat, the prayer is come. It's come. That's the prayer. We hear it from the mouths of these four living creatures. Um, Four... And the reason the four living creatures are there, we saw it in chapter 5, although I didn't talk about it. These living creatures represent the ends of the earth, north, south, east, and west. And so four is just kind of talking about the totality of the earth. And so these living creatures represent the ends of the earth, the earth in total. And the first one cries out, first seal, and says, come, come. And what's really interesting about this this prayer for, to, uh, for, for, the, for the Lamb to come is that This prayer, come, is actually super important in the whole book of Revelation. Look at it on the screen right there. Chapter 1, John is writing to these people and saying, he's trying to encourage them. He says, look, he is coming. And what he's saying is, look, don't give up. Jesus is coming. He's going to meet you. He's going to help you. And he says that on the front end. And then when we go to the very end of Revelation, chapter 22, he says this. This is Jesus now talking. He's saying, look, I am coming quickly. Yes, I am coming. And so what we have here in these, um, in these seals, this first seal that's being opened, is, is these, um, these four living creatures saying, come. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean for Jesus to come? What does it mean when he says, I'm coming quickly? Well, 
back when Jesus was on earth and he was teaching his disciples what it, what it looks like to follow him, what it meant to be one of his disciples and followers, um, he's sitting down a Sermon on the Mount, one of his longest teachings, or his longest teaching, and he says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And he sits down and says, here's what to pray. He's like, you don't need to use big words like the Pharisees do. It doesn't need to be like a real formal prayer. He said, just say this. Our Father who art in heaven, or our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Worthy is your name, is what he's saying. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus teaches his people to pray. It's what, if you've been around the church, it's what we call the Lord's Prayer, and you're probably familiar with it. So Jesus says, this is what you're to pray. Pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this really makes sense of the fact that heaven is a present reality. It's, the, right, it's tracking a long history just like our earthly reality is. And so when, when Jesus tells his disciples to pray that God's kingdom would come, he's not praying that it would come from the future into the present. He's praying that in the present that it would be made known more and more. So he's saying, let your kingdom come down. Let it invade this world in a way that it hasn't yet. So here are these four living creatures, and they're saying, come, come. And we join them. Because the reason they're saying come, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute when we explain what's happening in the seals. They're saying come because there is suffering. And there's lots of evil in the world. And we're saying, Jesus, come. Bring your kingdom. Bring it now. Okay, in the second seal, we see, excuse me, we see the second prayer going forth. Sorry, not the second seal, the fifth seal. And the prayer that gets offered up there is how long? How long? I'm going to talk about this in detail in a second, but let me just read it for us. They cry out that the saints and the martyrs who have been killed for the Lamb say, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're saying, how long is injustice going to happen? How long will your people continue to suffer and be killed for the faith. I mentioned it in the first week, and I'll mention it again today. Um, I heard on the radio the other day that for the second year in a row, Christians are the most, are the most killed, persecuted people in the world. That, that probably hasn't been the true statistic throughout history, but, but we're ignorant to current reality if we think it's not true right now. It is. Following Jesus means there's going to be an aspect of martyrdom. If not to you, and maybe not to a, a family member, But there's a chance there's going to be someone you know in your lifetime who is killed because they follow Jesus. It's a reality. It's coming. The the sixth seal, the third thing we see, the third prayer, is hide us. Hide us. Now, this this prayer is interesting. It's very interesting in chapter 6, 15 through 17. Because this prayer is not directed to God. It's not directed to God. In this prayer, we see all kinds of people from rich to poor and everything in between calling out not to God, but to the rocks and the mountains, asking them to hide them from who? From God. From the wrath of the Lamb. 
What does that mean? What's happening there? Pause. Come back to it in just a second. The next prayer we hear is in the seventh seal. And actually, we don't really see a prayer per se. What we see is silence. What we see is silence. But what John sees, we we don't hear anything, but what John sees is incense that is rising up alongside the prayers of the people. What does that mean? It's a visual to capture this image. That just think of a think of a incense, or think of just a small fire or a big fire. As it sits there and burns, the smoke billows up into the air, or it wafts into the air, either lazily if it's just a little incense stick, or it billows if it's a fire. But it's going up. When John says that the prayers of the saints, or the incense is rising like smoke alongside the prayers of people, what he's saying, the picture he's giving us, is that this incense, this incense is rising before God's throne. And God sees it. And He's saying the prayers of the people are the exact same way. That they are coming before God's throne and He sees them. He knows them. He's handling them. He's dealing with them. God is not ignorant to our prayers. He knows what's going on. And what we see in that is that just as smoke is defying gravity and going upward so also prayer defies our natural sensibilities and it actually goes into God's presence. We don't see it happening. We don't have a tangible fruit that it is happening. We don't like see a green light in the sky that it got there. But John gets this vision of saying, look, this is what's really happening. That the prayers of the saints, that God's people, as they pray, it comes before Him and He sees it and He hears it. And friends, we have to hear that. We need to hear that. You and I both need to hear that our prayer matters. Because the one who's sitting on the throne can do something about it. And the fact that he's sitting on the throne means that he is doing something about it. That he hears your prayer and he's listening. But here's the reality we all have to grapple with. That when we pray for those things to happen, whether it's um, relief for a, a, a neighbor who's sick or a friend who's sick or a parent who's sick, whether it's relief from depression which is crippling us, Maybe it's, God, help me. I don't want to keep looking at porn. I don't want to keep the binges going. I want to stop. Maybe it's, God, I want to stand up in front of my friends and not let them continue to talk behind this girl's back. I want to be strong. God, help me. Help me. Whatever it is you're praying for, God, please this or please that. Most likely, His answer has come slower than you hoped. And because He's not obligated to answer things exactly on our timeline the way we hoped, it can be discouraging. Prayer often is discouraging for God's people, is it not? So what do we do with this? What do we do when when ISIS is killing people indiscriminately? What do we do when people are killing other people in the name of Jesus? What do we do when, when the evil is not just out there, but it's in here? 
when we pray, God, I don't, I don't want it to be this way anymore. Please stop it. We pray. And we keep praying. And we trust what John's saying here. That your prayers are going into the throne room. That God sees them. He hears them. And as we're going to see in just a minute, He's acting. So prayer is, is all through this passage. It's the controlling image, actually, of this passage. But one of the things we see through that is we see what happens when these seals start breaking, when Jesus is there opening the, the seals to the scroll. We're going to see what happens with this prayer. And so there we go, uh, second point, the meaning of the seals. It is this. Um, let's just look at them right, right through. The first four, again, kind of hold together, and then the last three are a little bit different. Um, the first four, again, four symbolic of the whole world, the four corners of the earth. And so here's what's happening, is that when Jesus is un, un, unsealing the scroll, when he's breaking the seals, what we're getting a picture of is God's kingdom coming. Right? History is being unrolled. The scroll is being unrolled. History is being unfolded. God's kingdom is coming to bear. And that's not just a future thing. That's right now. There is a future component to it, but it's happening right now. And so the first seal, verses 1 and 2, look down at the passage. It says there's a white horseman that shows up. Who is he? Some people have said that this is Jesus. Because in the Bible, white is often a picture for God. Um, It's a picture of purity. It's a picture of, um, of innocence, of uprightness, righteousness. Um, we also see that this white horseman is wearing a crown. So again, we're tempted to think that this is a picture of Jesus. But what's interesting, what we'll see in the coming weeks, is that in the, in the rest of Revelation, the language of conquest, which is used here for this seal, is not used of Jesus. The language of conquest is used of the beast. The evil one, Satan, he comes forth and he conquers by deception, which is what this beast is doing. He's deceiving us. He's trying to look like Jesus. He's he's appearing to be white and pure. He's appearing to have power like a king. He's wearing a throne. Listen to what Daryl Johnson says. He's the guy I'm quoting all over the place because he's so good on this stuff. He says... The first horse is the power of evil imitating Jesus. White, a crown, etc., seeking to conquer. John is telling us that as Jesus comes, as he keeps coming, evil, masquerading as light, opposes him and seeks to conquer human minds. Here's what that quote's saying We're going to be deceived in this world. We're going to think that certain things are right. Ideologies, uh, political parties, um, movements, financial, ideological, otherwise. We're going to be tempted to think that that's the thing we should do. Because Satan is deceptive and he is good at it. One of his primary names in the Bible is the deceiver. He knows what he's doing. So he shows up and he's saying, follow me, follow me. In a thousand little ways in your everyday life, Satan is saying, come this way, do this, follow me over here. And that sounds like the voice of Jesus, follow me, follow me. 
It's the voice of Satan. It's the white horse. The white horse. The white horse. He's coming to deceive. But look what it says about that crown. Look right there. It says the crown is given to him. He hasn't earned it. It's given to him by God. God is allowing Satan to be in this world right now. That may be confusing. That may make you mad. That's that's what's happening. That's true. That evil is a reality in this world and God is sovereign over it. He's in control. That crown has been given to him. The second seal. Um, The second seal is, is this red horseman. It naturally kind of flows from the first. Red is the symbol of blood. And what this means is that as, as evil tries to get traction in our world, as evil is going, as Satan is deceiving us, and as he's posing as the lamb, there will be wars. There will be all kinds of civil strife. Spiritual evil always eventually reverts and manifests in physical evil. I'm going to say that again, because if you look over the course of history, you see that to be true. Spiritual evil always eventually manifests and reverts to physical violence. So that means wars, whether they be between individuals or between nations, wars are always due to spiritual conflict at some level. It may not be necessarily in the name of Christianity or in the name of Islam or in the name of Judaism or whatever, But the things and the people involved in these wars are being motivated by spiritual forces. Why? And how can I say that? Because heaven is a spiritual reality that is operating alongside the earth. And everything we see on earth is a manifestation of this heavenly cosmic battle which is taking place, which John is seeing. There's a a white horseman and there's a red horseman out there and there is blood because of this. And that means that war is a part of our world that's been a part of history ever since Jesus has come. And even before that. The third seal, verses 5 and 6. I keep tapping the screen. Um, What about this black horse holding scales in his hands? This one's kind of interesting. He goes on to say, I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of 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 wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and wine. What is being pictured here? What's happening? Well, flowing out of number two, the war being in the lands, when there is war, widespread war, there is also widespread famine. It's always the case that whenever you have prolonged war, there is famine. The food dries up because the fields have been burned. It's one of the surest ways to conquer someone as you go cut off their food supply. And so what's happening here is that normally... Uh, wheat and barley, they would have been much, 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 much cheaper than this. But in this time of war that John is seeing, a denarius was a full day's wage, and that just gives you one portion of wheat, which is what that is. That you had to spend your whole day's living wage for just enough for you, not to mention your family. And then you didn't even get barley because it's a whole other day's wage. But friends, there's even more to this. Because look what it says about the oil and the wine. It says, but don't touch the oil and the wine. Don't manipulate those prices. What does that mean? It means that in the midst of all this suffering, that the rich in the world, the people who have money, will be unaffected. And they'll be able to control the markets and they'll get what they want. They get oil. They don't just get wheat. They get oil to make 
great cakes and breads, and they get wine so they can drink and enjoy themselves. This means that in this world, a very present reality to it is that there is economic injustice. That as the war is unfolding at a cosmic level, it means that nothing, that nothing is fair, per se. That the poor suffer, and they will continue to suffer. And that the rich will continue to be rich. And I'm not knocking rich people. There are some really rich people who love Jesus and who do lots of great things with their money. But it is saying that there is a time when the price of wine isn't affected. Because this third horse represents greed and injustice leading to hunger and famine. The fourth seal, verse 7 and 8, it's an ashen horse and its name is death. And John says Hades is going to follow. Hades is another, it's a, it's a word for the grave. It's being manifested here, being, being personified here. This is a terrible image. Death is riding through the land and just scooping up corpses. This is awful. These four seals are teaching us that ever since Jesus Christ, the Lamb, was slain and therefore installed on the throne of the universe that John is seeing, ever since that happened, these four horsemen have been trying to take him and his people down. They are trying to make the world chaotic. They are doing everything they can to try to discourage Christians, to try to take you out, to try and kill you, whether that's actually killing you or just in a thousand little ways discouraging you to the point of exhaustion, to the point where you say, I don't want to go on, I don't want to do this anymore. And this means to follow the Lamb and to follow Jesus will mean you, be, you are opposed. And you may even be killed, killed, which is the fifth seal. You see it right there, John sees underneath the altar, what does he see? All those who have died in faithfulness, following Jesus, following the Lamb, they're underneath the altar. Why underneath? Because that's where the blood of animals would go after they were sacrificed. It's just, it's gory. It's ugly. It's, this is not a, a fun picture. But notice something about them. They're alive. They're not dead anymore. And not only are they alive and not dead, they're praying. They're praying something very specific. Let's look at it. Let's read it. What do they say? O Sovereign Lord, Holy and True, how long before you, before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? What are they saying? They're saying, God, how much longer are you going to allow suffering? How much longer... Will babies continue to be murdered? How much longer will other people continue to be murdered? How much longer will there be poverty and injustice and wars? And how much longer will there be depression? How much longer will there be suicide? How much longer will there be racism? How much longer will there be everything that is wrong with this word? How much longer, oh God, won't you make it stop? John says, verse 11, They were told to rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were to be killed even as they had been should be completed. Friends, what we see here is, is so important. If I've lost you, come back for just a minute. What John is saying is that the suffering of this world is finite. That there is only a certain amount of it. 
and God has ordered and said, yep, I'm going to allow it, and we haven't been given all the reason why, he's saying, I'm going to allow this much suffering, and this much martyrdom, and this much death, and I'm going to allow my church to be persecuted for this amount of time. And he says, once that's done, I'm going to come back. And the kingdom will fully come. And what that means for your suffering is everything. That means that you can rejoice in suffering. Why? Because it feels good? No, it sucks every single time. But friends, you can rejoice in suffering because when you're suffering, when you take it in whatever way that looks like, whether that's being broken up with because you wouldn't go there with that guy or that girl, whether that means you get ridiculed because um, you're not going to partake in the gossip, or whether that means you're going to follow Jesus and people just think you're weird and funny because you won't do this or that, whatever that means, whatever suffering looks like, when you take it, when you take it and don't react like a lion in power, but take it like a lamb in weakness, when you take it, That means that someone else doesn't have to. Because there's only a finite amount of suffering. And if you take up your portion, that means that your friend or your mom or your sister or other Christians who follow the Lamb, it's not going to fall on them. So when you endure suffering, when you go through it, it's tempting to want to retaliate. It's tempting to want to get revenge. It's tempting to want to act out. And John is saying... You can take it. And the saints who are already in heaven, they hear the voice, it's just for a little while longer. And then it will be done. You want to know how you survive suffering? You realize that your suffering means something. It has meaning. God is using it to bring His kingdom because once that bit of suffering is done, the kingdom comes. You want Jesus to come back? We're called to suffer. We don't look for it, but when it comes, we take it. Like a lamb. The sixth seal. I'm almost done. The sixth seal is broken. What do we see? The whole whole cosmos is shaking. The language, look down right there in front of you, just just read back through that. The language that John used, it's like he's just reaching for words and for pictures, and the imagery seems over the top. Actually, all that imagery is from other places in the Bible. It's the picture of cosmic upheaval. Whether actually manifesting in history or talking about the one-day reality of Jesus coming in His fullness, it is a picture of cosmic upheaval. And here's what all of this means. That the judgment, the one day final judgment that's going to come, as well as the present judgment that God has on this world for sin, doesn't come from outside. Look at that. God doesn't come and hurl thunderbolts or a meteor and finally crush the world. What is the picture going on here? God simply takes His hands off. He removes Himself and the world implodes. Friends, God's judgment is not Him doing something super mean. It's Him simply saying, look, okay, you want to live without me? 
You want to live for yourself? You want to follow your dreams and do whatever you want to do? Okay. I'll let you do it. And he steps out of world history, and we see right here that it just implodes. It falls in on itself. And for the people who are there who haven't followed the Lamb, who are they crying out to? They're crying out to the rocks and the mountains, all that's left, saying, protect us. Protect us. Can you imagine how awful that would be? When you're looking to rocks to protect you, when you're asking the mountains, shield us from this awfulness. Friends, if you want ultimately to live a life apart from God, He'll let you have it. But in the end, you will have no one to cry out to for help. God is not throwing things from outside at you. He's just letting us have our own way. And what we think is coming in the seventh seal is just this picture of the kingdom coming in its fullness. But that's not what we see, is it? We see silence. There's silence in heaven when the seventh seal is opened. Why? Jesus is wanting John to see so that John can tell his readers and us many years later that those prayers that we pray right now, they're actually coming right before God. And those prayers that we pray are one of the means by which God is unlocking world history. And friends, this is a mystery. But God has commanded us to pray, and He has said, I hear your prayer, and I use your prayer. And so God is sovereign, He's in control, He's powerful, He sits on the throne, He can do whatever He wants, and He invites us to pray for things. And right here, at the unfolding of the seventh seal, we have to rest, and we're invited to rest in God's presence, knowing that He is doing everything according to His character. What's He like? He's good. He's loving. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's powerful. He's just. He is going to punish that guy who did that to you. He's going to take care of Hitler. He's going to take care of the sorority sister who's so mean to you. He's going to take care of that person who, frankly, has just made your life a nightmare. God is just. He hears your prayer. He will act. So what do we do? What do we do with this? We keep praying. We trust Him. In the intervening time when it doesn't make sense, He's saying, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me pray for us.